You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. Got your Bibles there? Please go ahead and open them up to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. And we'll begin here. Something that we see all throughout God's Word, something that we see all throughout the Bible is this, that God chooses to use His people to rescue His people. All throughout the Bible we see this, God choosing to use His people to rescue His people. For example, when God decided that He was going to rescue His people out of Egypt, what did He do? Did he send a legion of angels in to scoop them up and to bring them over and then set them down the promised land? He didn't do that. What did he do? He used his people. He sent in two of his guys, Aaron and Moses, to lead them out of Egypt to the promised land. Psalm 77 says this, You led your people like a flock. You, Lord, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And we see this all throughout the Bible. God choosing to use his people to rescue his people, whether it's Samson or Gideon or David or Mary or the Apostle Paul. God, again and again and again, he chooses to use his people to rescue his people. And listen, he's still doing it today. How many times in your life have you been heading in a certain direction and then another Christian comes into your life and speaks the truth in love and tells you exactly what you need to hear and and your mind gets renewed and you get corrected and you end up going the right way? I hope that happens all the time. Because you know what that's called? That is called the rescue of God. It is called God using his people to rescue his people because this is what he does. He uses his people as a means to to encourage and to shape us, to refine us, to correct us, so that we don't make shipwreck of our faith, but we keep going and we keep growing and we persevere to the end. Because God has promised that this is what he will do. He will cause us, if we belong to him, he will cause us to persevere all the way to the end. Look what God says up on the screen. Be encouraged. Philippians chapter 1. Here we go. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Does that encourage you? Encourages me. How about this? John chapter 10. Jesus said this. He said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Jude 24. Now to him who is able, able to do what? Able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. Awesome. God has promised that if we belong to him, He will make sure, he will see to it that we persevere to the end. But question, what is God's means of bringing this about? What is his means of keeping us believing? 
What is his means of making sure that a tidal wave of unbelief doesn't come crashing down on us, destroying our faith, causing us to fall away from Jesus Christ? What is his means of causing us to persevere to the end? Well, here it is. Ready? One of God's primary means of causing us to persevere to the end is this. It's one another. It's one another. And this is what we're going to see today in Hebrews chapter 3. That one of God's primary means of keeping his people persevering to the end is authentic Christian fellowship. Authentic Christian fellowship. And yet in so many of our lives, this is what we see up on the screen. So we, we are getting familiar with, with this, I hope. This is the discipleship model of our church. And so we want to be, we want to be a Christ follower. So what does a Christ follower do? Well, a Christ follower abides and connects and shares. And so we're going after it. We're going after it. And so we, we have God time. And we're opening up the Bible every day. We're reading the word of God and we're praying. We've got God time and we've got gather time. We're coming to church every week and we're worshiping the Lord together corporately. We have give time and we're serving in the church and we're giving of our time and our resources to further the kingdom of God. And we've got go time. We're seeking to live missionally and, and maybe we've even signed up for a missions trip this year in 2019. All of these, awesome, praise the Lord. But if we're missing that one, if we're missing group time, if we're lacking authentic Christian fellowship in our lives, then we are lacking an essential means that God wants to use to keep us persevering to the end. So before we jump into our text, let's honestly ask ourselves, every one of us, this question, do I have true fellowship in my life? Do I have group time? Do I belong to a group that's meeting regularly and coming alongside one another in relationship and sharing openly and confessing sin and encouraging each other and holding each other accountable and urging one another forward in our walk with Christ? Do I have that in my life? Do I belong to a group that's coming alongside one another in relationship and reminding each other who Jesus Christ is? And what he has done for us in the gospel. And what he's promised us. And what he has commanded us to do. Do you have this? Do I have this? Do we have true fellowship in our lives? Because God is warning all of us today, including me, that without true fellowship in our lives, we are putting ourselves at tremendous risk. You may be thinking, well, risk of what? Well, risk of this. Risk of falling prey to unbelief and drifting away from God. That's how serious this is. And that leads us into our first point, which is this. It's God's warning. God's warning. I must guard my heart against unbelief. I must guard my heart against unbelief. Have a look with me at Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Therefore... As the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
So notice first who is speaking here in verse 7. Look what it says in verse 7. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says. So it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who is speaking here. And what is the Holy Spirit saying? Verse 7. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So in verses 7 and 8, the Holy Spirit is speaking. He's saying, today, if you hear the voice of God, do not harden your hearts. And so who is the Holy Spirit saying this to? Well, first, he is, he is saying this to the people that this letter was, was written to, which was a, a church of mainly Jewish converts that were under persecution. And so there were some of them that were standing strong in their faith, and they were persevering. But then there were others that were wavering in unbelief, and, and they were just about to give up and to return back to Judaism. And so in verses 7 through 11, the Holy Spirit, he's speaking to this church and warning them about the dangers of unbelief. And he's doing it by quoting directly from Psalm 95, which is a psalm about the unbelief of the people of Israel when they're in the wilderness. So have a look again at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and now the Spirit of God is about to quote directly from Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Now, the rebellion that's being referred to here by the Spirit is the rebellion that took place in Numbers chapter 14, where God brought his people all the way to the edge of the promised land. He told them, this is the land I've promised you. And, and, and I'm going to defeat those armies in there. Don't worry about those. And I'm going to give you rest in this land. All you need to do is trust me. All you need to do is believe me and go in. But instead of believing God, they hardened their hearts in unbelief. Instead of believing God in unbelief, they refused to go in. And how do we know it was unbelief that was the issue here? We'll look down at verse 19. 19. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So the Holy Spirit is speaking to this persecuted church. He's saying, today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. Don't respond in unbelief like Israel did. But instead, if you hear my voice today, believe me, trust me, and do what I'm about to tell you to do. This is what the Holy Spirit was saying to the early church. And listen, this is what the Holy Spirit is still saying to the church today, including us right now. Because notice in verse 7, and notice it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, says, that word says is in the present tense, meaning the Holy Spirit is still speaking. He's still speaking through his word. He's speaking to us right now as we read this letter, and he's warning us. He's saying, Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. This is a warning to every single one of us here today. Today, if you hear God speaking to you, do not harden your heart. Because he has something very important to say to every single one of us in verses 12 through 15. And when God says, pay attention. When God says, I'm about to tell you something. When God says, I have a warning for you. Here's what the wise person does. The wise person gets their pen, 
and they lean in. Have a look at verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Notice first those three words, take care, brothers. In other words, take care, brothers and sisters. Be careful, church. Watch out, loved ones. Beware, church family. There is a grave danger that has come upon you. There is a threat that is looming over you, and you don't see it. What is it? Look again at verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. This is the danger. This is the threat. It's this. It's unbelief. It's unbelief. And so what then is unbelief? Well, this is unbelief up on the screen. Unbelief is the degree to which I'm not focusing on or trusting in or believing what the word of God says. That's unbelief. It's the degree to which I'm not focusing on or trusting in or believing what the word of God says, particularly about who God is, what he has done, what he has promised, and what he has commanded. That's unbelief. It's the degree to which I'm not focusing on or trusting in or believing what the word of God says about who God is, what God has done, what God has promised, and what God has commanded. And there are some of us here today, and we don't believe we don't believe at all. And uh, I've been there. I've been an atheist. I know what it's like to not believe. But listen, there's going to come a time when you have to decide what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. Because there's, there's no doubt that, that he existed and that he had followers and that he was crucified. These are historical facts validated from sources outside the Bible. There's, there's no debating. He existed and he had followers and he was crucified. So the question isn't whether or not he existed. The question is whether or not he is God. And so as C.S. Lewis has so wisely said, when it comes to Jesus, there's only three options. Either he was a lunatic, a liar, or he is Lord. And as you read through the Gospels, as you read through the Word of God, you see what Jesus did and you read his words, it's very apparent, very quickly, he is not a lunatic. He is not a lunatic. No one has spoken like this man. He's not some crazy guy running around. He's the complete opposite. No one has spoken like Jesus. He's not a lunatic. As you read through the word of God, you read what he did, you read what he said, it becomes apparent very quickly that he's not a liar. Because to be a liar, he would have to be evil. And he was the complete opposite of evil. He's not some guy running around with some evil plan. He's not evil, therefore he's not a liar. And if he's not a lunatic and he's not a liar, we have one option left. He is Lord. He is Lord. And therefore everything that he said is true. And the reason why he came was to make a way for sinners like you and I to have our sins forgiven, to be saved from the hell that we deserve, and to be granted eternal life. This is why he came to make a way for sinners like you and I to be granted the gift of eternal life. And that way that he made was through the cross. 
where Jesus Christ was crucified. And as he was crucified on that cross, he took upon himself all of the sin and all of the punishment for the sin for all of those who would ever believe. And if you are here today and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, do not harden your hearts. Come to Jesus. Believe. Believe. Receive forgiveness of sins. Be reconciled. And receive the gift today of eternal life. You can do that right now. You can pray right now. You can ask him to to come into your life. You can receive forgiveness of sins. You can ask him to save you. Don't delay. What about the rest of us? Do we struggle with unbelief? Do you and I struggle with unbelief? Let's see if you can relate to this. We say things like, we believe that God is holy, that he is perfect in all of his attributes, that he is absolutely awesome. But then we walk in pride. We say that we believe that he is the greatest treasure in the universe, that in his presence is fullness of joy, but then we don't meet with him or we choose other things over him. We say that we believe that God is in control, that he's sovereign over everything in our lives, and that he's perfectly good, but then we worry about the future. We say that we believe God is omnipresent, that he's everywhere, and he sees everything that I do, and then we do things that God hates. There's a a disconnect here. What is it? It's unbelief. It's unbelief. It's the reality that, yes, we do believe these things. We do believe these things, but, but we don't yet believe them as we ought to. That's unbelief. And where does unbelief take place? Right here. Unbelief takes place in the heart. Have a look again at verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. And so what then is the heart? What is the biblical heart? Well, this is the biblical heart up on the screen. The biblical heart is, has these three components to it. The mind, the affections, and the will. That's the biblical heart. The mind, the affections, and the will. Matthew 9, 4 says, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, speaking to the scribes, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Why do you think evil in your heart? So we can think evil in our hearts, we can think good things in our hearts, but all of our thinking takes place in the heart. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So all of our treasuring, all of our valuing, all of our desiring, all of our wanting, that also takes place in the heart. And Paul said this, 2 Corinthians 9, 7, he said, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. So all of our choices and all of our decisions are made in the heart. So the the heart, therefore, is the place where we do all of our thinking. It's the place where we do all of our treasuring and valuing and wanting and desiring. And it's also the place where we do all of our choosing and decision-making. It's the mind, the affections, and the will. That's the biblical heart. Now... There is something that has a profoundly wonderful and glorious effect upon the heart, and it's this. 
believing the word of God up on the screen, believing the word of God, believing who God is and believing what he has done in the gospel and believing what he has promised and believing what he has commanded has a profoundly wonderful and glorious impact upon the heart because here's what it does up on the screen. Up on the screen, here we go, here we go. This is what it does. Next slide, next slide, all right, here we go. A believing heart worships. A believing heart worships. A, a heart that is believing who God is and what he's done and what he's promised and what he has commanded. Here's, here's what happens in the believing heart. The mind isn't thinking about self. The mind isn't thinking about stuff. The mind is thinking about God. In the affections, we're not treasuring self and we're not treasuring stuff, but we're treasuring God. The heart that is believing is treasuring God. And the heart that is believing is choosing, choosing to obey, not self, not sin, but God. So every part of the heart is impacted by believing. Every part is worshiping. The mind is worshiping by thinking about God. The affections is, are worshiping by treasuring God. And the will is worshiping by choosing to obey God. A believing heart worships. So if this is what a believing heart looks like, what does an unbelieving heart look like up on the screen? This is what it looks like. So when the heart is not focused on God, on who he is and what he's done and what he's promised and what he has commanded, then what happens is the heart turns inward on itself. The main uh, focus of the heart becomes the self. And so in our thinking, we are thinking about self instead of God. In our affections, we are treasuring self instead of God. And in our wills, we are choosing to obey self instead of God. Because God is not in our focus. God is not in our radar. And this is why God calls an unbelieving heart evil. Because it is focused on self and worshiping self instead of God. But there's another reason why God calls an unbelieving heart evil. And it's because of where an, un, an evil, unbelieving heart goes. Where it goes. Look at verse 12. Verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, notice this, leading you to fall away from the living God. This is why an unbelieving heart is so incredibly dangerous, because an unbelieving heart leads us, leads us to fall away from God. So what does it mean to fall away from God? Well, it means this, that I'm facing God, and I'm focused on who he is, what he's done, what he's promised, what he's commanded. I'm, I'm facing God, but then I turn my back on God. I'm not focused on, on God, and because I'm not focused on God, all my focus becomes me. And when all my focus becomes me, what ends up happening is I end up walking in this direction. My heart is leading me away from God, not to somewhere abstract, not to just kind of where, like nowhere, but my heart is going to be leading me toward idols. When my back is to God, my heart is going to be leading me toward idols. And so what does this look like practically? Well, God shows us exactly what it looks like in Jeremiah 2.13. If you know me at all, I love this verse, not because of what it says, but because of the understanding that it gives us about why we end up where we are. Jeremiah 2.13, look what God says. He says, for my people have committed, notice, two evils, two evils. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters, and here's the second evil, 
and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So here God, he likens himself to this glorious, beautiful fountain of living water. He says, I'm everything my people need. I'm everything that my people need. I alone can satisfy them. But they have, they have done this evil. They're facing me. They're facing me. And now they have turned their back. That's the first evil. They have forsaken me. The fountain of living waters. But notice the second thing they do. And hewed out cisterns for themselves. That means they're now walking away from God and they're digging holes in the ground called cisterns. Why are they digging those holes? Well, so that, so that it might, when it rains, then the rain will collect in these holes and they'll be able to stick their head in the hole and get a drink of some disgusting water. And God says, you are seeking to replace me. That's evil. And he says, it will never work. They, they are broken cisterns that can hold no water. They, they can't hold water. So question, do you know what the broken cisterns in your life are? When you are seeking to satisfy your soul apart from the fountain of living waters, do you know where you go? Well, here are three up on the screen that I can definitely relate to. Here's the first broken cistern, the broken cistern of self-glory. The broken cistern of being liked and, and the approval of man and the praise of man. The broken cistern of respect being respected. If I could just drink that up, then I would be happy. Then I'd be satisfied. No, we wouldn't. It's a trap. It's salt water. The more of it we drink down, the thirstier we get. It's idolatry. Or how about the second broken cistern? Self-indulgence. The broken cistern of more, just more. You fill in the blank, more, more money, more stuff, more television, more Netflix, more movies, more video games, more food, more food, more food, more food, more cars, more house, more vacation, more. If I could just drink down more, then I'll be happy. No, it's a trap. It's salt water. It will only make us thirstier. It's idolatry. It's a broken cistern. Or how about this third one? The broken cistern of self-preservation. Self-preservation. I'm just going to keep myself perfectly safe. I'm going to eliminate all risk from my life. I'm going to control every circumstance and every person, and then I'll be perfectly safe. No. God is the one who is in control. It's a trap. And maybe there's another one that the Holy Spirit is bringing to mind right now in your life. Here's what we need to see about these broken cisterns. That the root of it the beginning of it is this. It's unbelief. It's unbelief. It's I'm just not focused on God. I'm going through my day. I'm kind of in autopilot. And I'm just not, God is not on my radar. I'm not focused on who he is or what he's done or what he's promised or what he's commanded. I'm just kind of going through life. And because I'm not focused on God, I, I automatically by default become focused on myself. And I begin heading toward broken cisterns because I am so incredibly unsatisfied. And the degree to which... The heart remains in broken cisterns is the degree to which it is an evil, unbelieving heart that is falling away from God. And so verse 12 is a warning. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This is a warning for two groups of us here this morning. Here's the first group. The first group are those who come out to church every week, but you have yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You are around the church, 
You are around the people of God. You are around the things of God. You've seen God do things. You've been here. You've seen baptisms. Maybe you've been here for several years, but you have not yet come to Jesus and received him as your Lord and your Savior. To you today, God gives both a warning and an invitation to abandon the path that leads to destruction, to turn away from those broken cisterns, and to come to Jesus, to believe in him, to to drink from the fountain of living waters for the very first time, and to receive eternal life even right now in this moment. But verse 12 is also a warning for those of us who are truly born again. Because all of us here struggle with sin. All of us here have a tendency to get our eyes off of the Lord, onto ourselves, onto broken cisterns. All of us can say, like like we just sang in that hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I love. Let me ask you, has unbelief and pride led you to a broken cistern that God is telling you today you need to turn from? What is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now about a broken cistern in your life that he wants you to turn away from? Because God is warning us today in verse 12, take care, brothers, take care, sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. God is warning us today. He's warning us today. I must guard my heart against unbelief. And so how do I do that? How do I guard my heart against unbelief? Well, here's how, and this is our second and final point. I must embrace God's rescue and get serious about group time. I must embrace God's rescue and get serious about group time. Have a look with me at verse 13. Verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So let's begin with those first four words in verse 13. But exhort one another. What does it mean to exhort one another? Because it kind of sounds like a violent word, doesn't it? It kind of sounds like you're going to do something nasty, like I'm going to hurt you. I'm going to exhort you. Exhort is actually a beautiful word. To exhort means this. It means to come alongside someone in relationship, to speak the truth in love, to encourage them and urge them forward in their walk with Christ. That's what it means. It means to come alongside someone in relationship and speak the truth in love and encourage them and urge them forward in their walk with Christ. That's what exhortation is. Now, here's what exhortation is not. Exhortation is not coming alongside someone you're not in relationship with and beating them about the head with the Bible, okay? That's not exhortation. Exhortation is not putting on a t-shirt that says the sin police and then coming alongside someone you're not in relationship with and lobbing verses at them like grenades. Okay, that's not exhortation. Exhortation is coming alongside someone in relationship, someone you're in relationship with and speaking the truth in love, and encouraging them, and urging them forward in their walk with Christ. And so how do we do that? Here's how. Here's how. By coming alongside them, and speaking the truth in love about who Christ is, and what he has done for us in the gospel, and what he has promised us 
and what he has commanded us to do. This is how we encourage others. This is how we urge others forward in their walk with Christ. And notice this. Notice who is being commanded to do this exhorting. Look again at verse 13. Verse 13. But exhort one another. So who's being commanded to do this? All of us. We are, all of us, we are being commanded to, to do this, to exhort one another, which means two things. One, it means that God is commanding us to care enough about others to come alongside and exhort. It means that God is commanding us today, in light of the gospel, in light of what he's done for us, in light of his love for us, he's commanding us to come alongside others, to care enough to come alongside and exhort them. But it also means this. He's commanding us to be humble enough to welcome others into our lives to exhort us. Question. Do you have this in your life? Do I have this in my life? Because look at how often we all are supposed to be exhorting one another. Look again at verse 13. But exhort one another. What does it say? Every day. Every day. I mean, can that really be what it means? Every day? Like every single day? Every day? Really? Every day? Well, I looked up those two words in the Greek to see what it really means, and here's what it really means. Every day. That's what it means. It means every day. But notice it doesn't say exhort everyone every day. That would be impossible. And it also doesn't say exhort the same person every day. It says exhort one another every day. Exhort someone in the church you're in a relationship with every day. Therefore, God is commanding us, all of us, to come alongside one another in relationship, to speak the truth in love, to encourage each other, and to urge each other forward in our walk with Christ. And there's so many ways we can do this now. We can email people, we can text people, we can call people, we can meet with them face to face. We are to do something every day. But not only that, we are also to do it with a degree of urgency. Look what it says next in verse 13. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. In other words, do it now. Do it while there's still time. Do it while there's still a chance to make a difference in that person's life. Exhort one another every day. Now why would God, who is perfectly wise and all-knowing, command us to exhort one another every day? Why would he command us to come alongside one another in relationship, to speak the truth in love, to encourage and urge each other forward in our walk with Christ every day? Why would he do this? Well, here's why. Because he knows perfectly how desperately we all need this. We all, we all desperately need this. If we didn't need it, then God would not be commanding us to do it. And so here's the truth. All of us here today are in desperate need of a daily spiritual rescue every day. And all of us are in need of also in participating in the spiritual rescue of others every day in the form of exhortation. So every day, 
Every day we're supposed to reach out to a brother or sister we're in relationship with and, and remind them of who Christ is. He, is. he is awesome. He is holy. He is perfect. To, to remind them of what he's done for us in the gospel. He, he's died for our sins. He's made you clean. He has, he has credited his righteousness to you to, to remind them what, what he's promised. He's always going to be with you. He's going to help you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to provide for your needs. And to remind us what he's commanded us to do, that we would love him with everything we've got, and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves. All of us need this every day. And if this sounds strange to us, if this is sounding strange, like why would I need that? Well, maybe it's because you don't think you need rescue every day. Maybe you think you're actually way further along than you actually are. Maybe you're not seeing yourself accurately. I love what C.S. Lewis says about this on the screen. Look what he says. He says, in each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. I love that. So true. Here's what he's saying. We don't see ourselves accurately. You and I, we don't see ourselves accurately. We don't see ourselves clearly. In fact, other people can see us more accurately than we can see ourselves. Kind of unnerving, isn't it? Other people can see us more clearly than we can see ourselves. And I meet with a group of guys on Friday mornings, and there's been so many times when they've been able to help me to see myself. Because I, I, I'm really good at telling myself that everything's okay, and that my motives are good, and that I'm going in the right direction, and it's never my fault. But when you get your heart and your life out on the table before other believers, and by God's grace, they begin to show you some things that you didn't see and some areas of sin that you didn't see. You know what that's called? That is called the rescue of God. That is called God using his people to rescue his people. And why is it so important that we receive this rescue? Verse 13 tells us. Look at verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened. In other words, God has chosen to use the means of daily exhortation to rescue us from having hard hearts. It's kind of like if you're out in the winter and you want to make a, a, a boiling water. How are you going to do that? We're going to have to create a fire, and you make a fire, and then you take a pot, and you put it on the fire, and then, and then before long, the, the, the water starts to boil, and it's useful, it's helpful. But if you take that pot, and you put it over here in the snowbank, it's going to take not very long at all before it stops boiling, it stops steaming, and then a, a thin layer of ice starts to form. You leave that thing there long enough, and you don't get it close to the fire, it's going to end up a solid brick of ice. And the exact same thing that can happen to our hearts if we aren't in fellowship and we aren't experiencing exhortation. We can begin to drift away from God into this arctic of broken cisterns and end up with an ice-cold, frozen, hardened heart. A heart that used to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but now it doesn't. A heart that used to respond to the word of God, but now it doesn't. A heart that used to care deeply about the things of God, but now it doesn't. And here's why. Look at verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by, notice, the deceitfulness of sin. 
the deceitfulness of sin. Here's what you and I need to see about sin today. That sin is something that's so much bigger than what we do. So yes, we sin. You and I sin every day. But sin is so much bigger than that. It's so much more comprehensive than that. Because sin is something that lives on the inside of us. It is a bottomless darkness that lives on the inside of us. And here's what it's always doing. It's knocking on the door of our hearts all day long. Knocking, knocking, knocking. It's, it's yelling through the door. It's putting notes through the bottom of the door. It's texting us. It's emailing us. It's calling us nonstop all day long. And here's its message. Its message is this. You need more. God's not enough for you. Come out to these broken cisterns. Then you'll be happy. Then you'll have pleasure. Then you'll have joy. Then you'll be satisfied. Then you'll be complete, lacking nothing. And don't worry. Everything will be okay. There won't be any consequences. Sin lies to us. Because here's what sin wants to do. The sin in us wants to rule us. Romans chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says this. He says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Notice, sin has passions. It has desires. It wants to make us obey those desires. It wants to reign. It wants to rule in our bodies. This is what sin wants to do. And so how can we defend ourselves? How can we fight against sin's deceitfulness? Verse 13 tells us. Verse 13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. In other words, sin never stops telling us lies. Sin never stops telling us lies. So we need other believers to come around us and never stop telling us truth. Sin never stops telling us lies. So we need believers to come around us and never stop telling us truth. And we need to come around others and never stop telling them truth as well. Because again, here's what sin says. Sin says you need more. God's not enough. Come out to these broken cisterns. Then you'll be happy. But then community rushes in with exhortation and says, stop, no way, no way. Pursue Christ. Remember who he is and what he's done and what he's promised and what he's commanded. He's better than sin a trillion times over. All the love, all the security, all the peace, all the joy, all the pleasure that your soul longs for is only found in relationship with him. And by God's grace, our minds are renewed and we come to our senses and we are rescued. This is one of God's primary means of keeping us going, of keeping us persevering all the way to the end. It's fellowship. It's exhortation. Look again at verse 14 now. Verse 14. For, for we have come to share in Christ if, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In other words, if you and I persevere to the end, if we keep following Christ to the end, if we keep turning away from broken cisterns, if we keep fighting back against unbelief, if we keep pursuing Christ to the end, then that perseverance will be evidence that our faith was real. And one of the primary means that God uses to bring about that kind of perseverance in us is this. It's all of us. 
all of us, exhorting one another every day so that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So God has told us today that we need community. We need fellowship. We need exhortation. We are not the exception. Because every day we need his rescue and we need to be part of his rescue. And now he says this in verse 15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts toward what God is saying to you today. So ask yourself this. Where am I on this diagram up on the screen? Where am I on this diagram? Is my heart at risk? Is my heart at risk? Is my heart at risk of drifting away from God and getting hard? Where am I? Am I, am I kind of out here on this outer, outer ring? Do I not have any community? Because if that's where I'm at, then I'm at the highest risk. I'm avoiding community, and I'm isolating myself from community. And if that's where you are, you're not part of any group, then listen, listen, if you are in Jesus Christ, know this. All of your past sin, all of your present sin, and all of your future sin has been washed away. He has atoned for your sin. He has made you clean. And not only that, he has, he has imputed all of his righteousness to you so that you are, you are literally wearing a cloak of obedience as you are united to Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, the Father says to you, I've made you perfect in my son. There is no more reason to avoid community. There's no more reason to isolate from community. It's time to come in. It's time to come in and be blessed. Well, maybe you're not here, but you're, you're here. Maybe you are part of a group, but you're still at high risk because the group is so casual and you're actually still hiding within the group. You're not being honest. Again, listen, he has forgiven you for all of your sins. They've been washed away. He's made you clean. He's credited his righteousness to you. You've been made perfect in, in union with Jesus Christ. And he says today, there's no more reason to be casual. There's no more reason to hide. It's time to open up. It's time to be authentic. It's time to be real. But maybe you're here. Maybe you're here. Maybe you're under the umbrella of God's rescue and you are receiving fellowship and exhortation. You're being part of that as well. Where are you today? on this diagram. Maybe you're here and you're in a group and right now you're thinking, well, you know, I just want to go deeper. And I think we should all want that. I want that. So what's the next step? Here it is. Have a conversation with your group. Where, where kind of are we at right now? Where do we want to go? How are we going to get there according to Hebrews chapter 3? And just so you know, we're going to be bringing more uh, biblical counseling and soul care training to groups this year. So I'm excited about that. Stay tuned for that, all right? But maybe you're here and you're, you're not currently in a group and you know you need to be in one. You need to be in one. So what's the next step? Here it is. Take your connection card or any other piece of paper that you want to rip off. Write your name down. Write your email address down and write this. I want to be in a group. And then leave it in one of the black boxes as you leave the worship center. That's all you need to do. Take a piece of paper, write down your name, write down your email address, and write, I want to be in a group, and leave it in one of the black boxes as you exit the worship center, and we will be in touch with you, and we will get you into a group. There's, there's no wait, all right? There's no wait list. But, but we can't guarantee we'll get you into the perfect group, okay? Because that doesn't exist, 
okay? There's no such thing as the perfect group with the perfect leaders and the perfect members and the perfect convenient location and the perfect convenient time. That doesn't exist. Here's what does exist. Community and fellowship. And we all need that. And if you have any questions about groups, please stop by the connections desk. Either Pastor Craig or a member of his team will be there to answer any questions. Because it's our desire that every Christ follower that calls Harvest their home would be in fellowship. And here's why. Because God is telling us today, all of us, that we desperately need the daily rescue that can only be found in fellowship, that can only be found in exhortation, that can only be found in sharing with one another every day the great treasure that we share in common. And his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen.